Amen. Thanks, Matt. Uh, and Matt, of course, is, is uh, tech-savvy. Uh, I am less so, I suppose, via the, the generation. So here's how I would say what he said. If you go to either of our Facebook presences, one is a group, which is the message board. That's a closed group. You have to be approved to get in there. Or the Facebook page. Anybody can go to Central Assembly Spirit Facebook page, and there's a post about what Matt was talking about, the YouTube thing. You click on our big logo there. You just click on it. It takes you right to YouTube, our page, and you can subscribe. Then it says subscribe. Click subscribe. Now you'll be one of those 100 subscribers that we need to personalize our URL, whatever a URL is. <laughs> then, we can, then we can put Central Assembly on it, see? And so when you search YouTube, it'll go there. So right now we have 91 subscribers last time I looked, so we need nine more. So just click on that, click subscribe, and then there's a bell there, too, and the bell, if you click that, it'll notify you every time we post something. So if that's a big deal to you, you can do that. Um, it's a big deal to me, but I'm the pastor. Uh, on your chair was one of these. This is what we call our program, and uh, some information on the front. On the back is notes for the sermon. Again, if that helps you, some people, this is, this, they're very concrete. This really helps them. Uh, other people just like to follow along, and uh, other people do other things, but that's another story. But I'm really glad that you're here, part three, and uh, the series is, is called, as Matt said, Everything I Learned, and I, and I got the idea from, from a poster that I saw many years ago that caught my eye. Uh, it was designed by a man named Robert Fulgham. I call him Bob because we have a good vibe going. And, and, and the poster was called, Everything I Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. Everything I Need to Know About Life, I Learned in Kindergarten. And the idea is that everything, you know, that we really need to know, we learn early on in the, in the process. It's really about the basics of life. Things like uh, clean up your mess, don't hit, say you're sorry, um, cookies and cold milk are good for you, that's a, that's a good lesson to learn. And, and, and these are the basic rules to life that, that never really change. You never really outgrow these. And over the course of time, I've started to feel that way about the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And even more specifically, Genesis chapter 3. It's as though everything that I need to know about the Bible... I can find in Genesis chapter 3. This is part 3. So far in the series, we've, we learned in part 1 that we have an adversary. He was originally known as Lucifer. He was a beautiful angel created by God. A cherub, apparently of some authority, perfect in all of his ways, the Bible says, until iniquity was found in him. Eventually, he pridefully rebelled against God and became the arch enemy, the arch rival, the antithesis of God himself. That was part one. Last week, part two, we talked about that the human race was created good, but we chose to sin. We lost our fragile innocence. Mankind 
fell, and we became lost, and only Jesus can save us. This week, part three, we'll learn about what's in the heart of every man. And in this case, I use the the term more in reference to males as opposed to mankind, which uh, obviously encompasses both genders. Uh, Much of what I say will speak to both men and women, I'm sure. But for the most part today, talking to the boys. Talking to the fellas. Now, if you're married to a man, this might have some relevance to you. Or you're a woman who may someday be married. Or you're a future mom or a mom raising boys. Maybe this can be helpful to you as well. Now, the issue surfaces... As we ponder where Adam is when Eve succumbs to the temptation and eats of the forbidden fruit found dangling from the branches of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're quick to blame Eve for that first sin. And I know, she she reached up, she took hold of the fruit, she brought it to her lips, she took the first bite. There's no doubt about any of the details. There's no denying what Eve did. But where was Adam? Genesis 3.6 says, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, And a tree desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. The text, Genesis 3, answers our question. Adam is not absent and oblivious. He's present and aware. He's every bit as culpable as Eve. He is compliant at best and a co-conspirator at worst. Eve is guilty because of what she did. Adam is guilty by virtue of what he failed to do. There are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Eve, like most women, is very complex. There's a lot going on in the head and in the heart of most women. They have the multitask thing going for them. Uh, They think about way too many things simultaneously. I've I've found that over the years. Uh, I think of Rhonda, my wife, every time I come across the post that says, my brain is like my internet browser. I have 19 tabs open, three are frozen, and I don't have any idea where the music is coming from. I can safely say this, men are less complex. I mean, when you ask a guy what we're thinking about and we say nothing, there's a distinct possibility. That's actually true. And for a woman, that's unbelievable. It's incomprehensible to her that a man could simply idle his brain and not be thinking about what to make for supper, what we need at the store, what we're going to make for lunches for the kids, how many pounds I need to lose, can I afford new shoes, should we make plans for next weekend, when's the baby's doctor appointment, and has the dog been out? (laughs) 
Meanwhile, the husband stares blankly into the TV screen for three hours straight watching a football game or me TV. And she says, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. <laughs> to her, it just can't be. But I do believe men are a little deeper than we sometimes give them credit for. It does bring up the question, what's going on in there? What's inside each man? Uh, every, every believer, I believe, I'm talking about believers now, has within him two natures. He carries the remnant of his old nature, and a Christian man, a Christian, bears his new nature as well, recreated and regenerated by an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God at some point in his life. We know this as being born again. But even within the godly nature, so just the godly nature, even within the godly nature, even within the new nature, there's a bit of a dichotomy. Within the heart of every Christian man resides a lion and a lamb. Genesis tells us that we bear the image of the Creator. It says, let us, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis 1.26, which is that verse, by the way, is an excerpt from a conversation, think about this, from a conversation within the Godhead, within the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. The Trinity is a fascinating doctrinal reality. People ask questions about it, and, and we struggle on some level to explain it because it's, it's bigger than we are. All the illustrations hold up only to a certain point, and then we simply can't explain it, and if we could, they couldn't understand it anyway. Two thoughts here. One, just because we can't explain God doesn't mean he doesn't exist. I can't tell you why my car starts when I turn the key. <laughs> and if I could explain him, second, if I could explain God, that's a pretty small God. There's a lot we don't understand or can't explain about the Trinity, but if you dismiss the Trinity as untrue, you will really have problems understanding and explaining the Bible. We serve one God eternally existent in three persons. Now, as end time events speed toward us, it feels like they are anyway, I believe two issues will rise to the forefront. The first will be homosexuality. We will be, I believe we will be banned from social media platforms, pastors will be arrested for hate speech, churches will be threatened, slandered, vandalized, protested, burned, and closed as government attempts to decide for us what's right and what's wrong. And the second issue of significance will be the deity of Jesus Christ. End time events demand globalism. That means no borders as we know them, a one-world government, a one-world bank, a one-world religion. Suffice to say, the one-world religion will not be Christianity. I think it will be 
a conglomerate, really, of all the religions, more in line with the coexist bumper sticker that, that we've seen before. Christianity is, is far too exclusive because of the deity of Jesus. The fact that Jesus is God. He can be a good guy, he can be a good teacher, he can be a moral man, but Jesus cannot be God and fit in to the one world religion. The deity of Jesus is already under attack, although with some subtlety to this point, it, I believe it will intensify soon. While, while a certain amount of mystery will always accompany the concept of the Trinity, the Bible teaches clearly that Jesus Christ is both God and man. While previous church councils had deliberated over issues pertaining to the nature of Christ and his relationship to the Father, it was the Council of Chalcedon in A.D. 481 that affirmed Christ as the same perfect in divinity and perfect in humanity, the same truly God and truly man. Now it's important for us to know that the Trinity was not a new idea at that point. They just needed an official statement for what they already believed because new ideas and new cults and new false teachings were springing up. The deity of Jesus is very biblical. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1 states, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now the term... The Word is a clear reference to Jesus, and we know that for sure if you go down to verse 14 of the same chapter. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There can be no mistaking the term the Word is a reference to Jesus Christ. So here's what we can learn from John Chapter 1. First of all, it says, In the beginning was the Word. In other words, He was not created. He always was. Let's go back to the first book of the, of the Bible, the first chapter, the first verse, and it says, In the beginning, God. Now here it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word is Jesus. Number two, the Word was with God. This speaks of plurality within the Godhead or within the Trinity. Again, Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. The Trinity had relationship within itself. And that's very important because God doesn't need us. He has relationship already. If God is love, before he created, who did he love? He has relationship within the Trinity. Number three, the Word was God. The Word speaks of Jesus. It says, <laughs> you can't say it any clearer, the Word, Jesus, was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Number four, the Word was made flesh. That speaks of the incarnation. 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. God was revealed in the flesh. Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man. And we are created 
in his image. Jesus is the Lion of Judah, and he's the Lamb of God. And as a result, within each of us is a lion and a lamb. The question is, when do they emerge? Both the lion and the lamb reside within the believer, both men and women, by the way. Both the lion and the lamb dwell within the godly nature of a Christian. But we still battle the old nature. The old nature has an influence. The Bible says this in Galatians 5, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to each other. There's a very real battle raging in the heart of every believer. We struggle with appetites and desires and passions that clamor for our attention. But we also know those things are contrary to our relationship with Jesus. And so there's this, this war that ensues literally on a daily basis. Romans 7 tells us how Paul, talking about the Apostle Paul, pretty good dude, right? We look up to the Apostle Paul. This guy wrote a bunch of the New Testament. And yet in Romans 7, he talks about his struggle with his two natures. Verse 15 says, For that which I do not allow, uh, for that which I do, I allow not. That which I would, I do not. But that which I hate, that's what I do. Verse 18, For I know that in me, he says, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. In other words, I want to, but how to perform that which is good, I just can't figure it out. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that's what I do. Verse 22, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I know the law of God is a good thing. I delight after the law of God. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Listen, Paul's words resonate within the heart of every man I know. There's a spiritual battle raging within each of us. The result is the lion often emerges when I should be tender and gentle. At other times, I'm passive and gentle as a lamb when I should be rising up and fighting for my family and fighting for our nation and fighting for our church, fighting for the unborn, fighting for the poor and the, the weak and the widows and the lost. We seem to, to have it all backwards. It seems to be more natural to do it wrong than it is to do it right. And I suppose that's true in a fallen world. That's what that's what Paul seems to be trying to tell us in Romans 7. When we need the lion to step up, the lamb is all too present. When we need the lamb, the lion bursts onto the scene and makes a fool of himself. Adam was silent when Eve sold out all of humanity. Where was the lion within Adam? 
Peter lunges to the forefront with sword drawn and lops off the ear of a soldier named Malchus as Jesus is about to fulfill his plan and purpose, the purpose of his coming. Where was the, the lamb so evident in Jesus in Peter? We seem to, to have it all backwards. And so we wonder how it's meant to be. And I think it's really described in, in Ephesians 5.25, and I won't take time with this, but, but this really describes it. Husbands, love your wives. How? Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. The Lion within a man is meant to reveal himself when protection and some kind of assertion or aggression is needed. But, but sad to say, all too often, that's when the lamb shows up. We should rise up and be protective. Instead, we're submissive and tame. We're pathetically passive. The lamb should come to the forefront when compassion is needed. The lamb should lead when love and kindness are needed. The lamb should lead when gentle hands and gentle words and a gentle heart will do the greatest good. But once again, sad to say, when we sense neediness or weakness, instead of our lamb stepping into the moment, the lion surges to the fore like a, like a shark sensing blood in the water. Eve didn't need a lamb in the Garden of Eden. She needed a lion, an, an aggressor, to step up and take charge. But Adam slipped into the nature of the lamb. He was passive and non-confrontational. So, let's start with the lion. What should the lion look like? Now, make no mistake, we need both, the lion and the lamb. The question is, when do they emerge? Let's start with the lion. What does the lion look like? And, and these aren't exclusive lists by any means. I have by any means, I have three for each. The lion is the king of the beasts. He's the leader. So the lion is a leader. Men, I believe most women would love for you to lead. We've left way too much on the plate of our women. They are the natural child bearers and child rearers, and now we've pushed them into the workplace. They have full-time jobs, a house to run, kids to care for, and we passively sit back and let them all figure it out. We go where they tell us to go and show up when they tell us to be there. But if we could keep the lion and the lamb straight, speaking to the men, if we could keep the lion and the lamb straight, I believe women would love for us to assume our role as leader. Now, now let me say this about the leader. Men, and, and again, I'm speaking to the men. In the realm of Christianity, what I'm asking you here to, to lead can be difficult if the woman was saved, if the wife was saved as a child, and the husband is newer to Christianity. It can be difficult for the man to step up when she grew up in the church. She knows more scripture. She went to a Christian school. For many men, this is when the lion retreats and the lamb steps forward 
when it should be the other way around. Let me encourage men that are in that situation with this. Being a leader does not mean you know the most. Okay? The leader, I'll tell you this, the leader is seldom the smartest guy in the room. He is simply the one called by God to lead. Men, look at me. Men, I need you to look at me. You're called by God to lead your family. You're called by God to lead this church. You're called by God to to lead this city and to lead this nation. It's time that we step to the forefront and become the, the men that God has called us and created us to be. As far as your household goes, being the leader simply means that you make decisions about your family spiritually. We will go to church. We will study our Bibles. We will serve the Lord. We will contribute. We will volunteer. We will pray. We will give. We will help. We will minister as the Spirit leads us. You don't need to know more Scripture than your wife in order to lead your family. You lead because God has called you to lead. And it's up to you to figure out what that looks like. And it looks different in every situation. Men, it's time for us to lead. It's time for us to step into the call of God and lead our families. Number two, what does the lion look like? He's the protector. Adam had a duty to guard and protect the garden, and in that he he failed. But this goes far beyond the physical aspect of protection. This is emotional and spiritual, too. Adam needed to protect Eve and all of his descendants spiritually. Again, he failed miserably. The result was catastrophic. And that may be the understatement of a lifetime. The lion is also, number three, the provider. But let me say this when it comes to the provider. Success in this area is not measured by income or material goods. The biggest house or the highest income may not indicate the best provider. A good provider provides a lot more than money. In fact, sometimes the family with the most income lacks way more in other aspects of life than a family with less stuff but a good provider for a husband. I'll take a quality man who provides as best he can materially, but provides a good work ethic, a good example of how to treat a wife. He demonstrates a good attitude, and he provides a role model of what it looks like to serve Jesus with all your heart. And I believe most women would do without the big house and the extra car and the fancy vacations if you gave her a man like that. Men, the lion within us is called to lead, to protect, and to provide. But we also have a lamb in there somewhere. What does the lamb look like? The lamb is the lover. The Bible tells us that God is love. And if we're created in his image, we should be the best lovers on the planet. And while I'm, not, while I'm talking about more than the romantic aspect to that, we ought to be really good at that too. 
There's not a woman out there who would not like their man to step it up in the romance department. We need to show our women that we love them. The lion fights it. The lion wants to be cool. The lion wants to be tough. The lamb is the lover. Second, the lamb is the listener. I wish I could tell you how many times Rhonda told me something that was going on in her life. And immediately, I gave her a three-point solution to her problem. <laughs> Just do this and this and this, and that ought to do it for you. And as her countenance falls, she will sometimes say, I didn't need you to solve my problem. I just needed you to listen. I'm frustrated when the lion emerges, when the, when the listener should have. Men often come, hear me now, women. Here's why. Men often come from a place of inadequacy. We already feel as though we can't do enough or we don't measure up and we tend to overcompensate. In those moments, I feel like I have to solve her problem or I'm a failure. And so I pathetically give her the best that I have to offer in the moment. The lion within me wants desperately to be her hero. I have a need to rescue her. The reality is she just needed me to validate her pain. She just needed me to actively listen. That's all she needed. But the lion supplanted the lamb, and I fell short. The lover, the listener, and the lamb is also the learner. The men I respect most in the world are teachable. A teachable spirit is a great character quality. It says a lot about a man. If he's teachable, it tells me he does not have to be the smartest guy in the room. It's an acknowledgement that others have something to contribute. It tends to make us approachable, and we tend to be better listeners if we're good learners, too. Listen, the lion in me knows it all. The lamb is a learner. You ever wonder what lurks in the heart of men? Within the heart of every man is the lion and the lamb. And make no mistake, we desperately need them both. They both possess good qualities, and we need both aspects of our manhood. The challenge is for the right one to emerge at the right time. The enemy seems to get us leaning in the wrong direction. It's, it's as if we're predisposed to doing it wrong. We need to have a game plan in place. We need to recognize the power of good decision-making based on God's Word and the principles and the values that we have adopted as believers in Jesus Christ. That means we'll often go against the grain. We'll be operating counterculture and contrary to the way everyone else does it. We cannot trust our feelings. Feelings are all over the map. We cannot trust our gut. I hate that phrase. I don't even know what it means. Trust your gut. What's your gut telling you? I don't know what that means. It sounds very subjective. It sounds a lot like, what do you want? As opposed to, 
what's right. A real man should be asking better questions. What does the Word of God say? How is God's Spirit leading me? And what would Jesus do? I wish Adam had asked questions like that. He could have spared his wife, his children, the entire human race, as well as himself, a lot of pain and suffering. The lion and the lamb. They're both good. Know which one should emerge when, and we'll be okay. Before we play one final song, I'm going to ask you this, men, talking to the men. I don't know if you're like me, but I really, I really believe this. I'm not saying this for effect. But of all the sermons I've preached, I've been the pastor here for 12 years. If I did one a week, that's over 500 sermons. Of all the sermons I've ever preached, none has cut me to the quick like this one. I fall so short. And maybe you're like me. I, I lean toward the lamb, way too passive. I could give you two examples from the last couple weeks where I just fell woefully short. Maybe others lean toward the lion. That's the part that emerges in your times of insecurity. It's a challenge. And, and if you're like me, if, this, if you're a man, I'm talking to the men, and this resonates with you, and you want God to speak to you, you want the Holy Spirit to quicken this to you in your everyday life, whether it's at work, parenting, as a husband, as a man in the community, as a man in the church. If you want God to speak to you like I want God to speak to me, I would like you to stand, and I just want to include you as I close in prayer and the worship team plays. Father, thank you for men like me that fall woefully short. Lord, I know what it is. It's all, it's all rooted in a spirit of rejection. It's all rooted in inadequacy, at least for me. I want to overcompensate. I so desperately want to be Rhonda's hero. I want to rescue her out of every situation. And then the times that she really needs me to step up, the, lion, the lamb seems to emerge and I miss another opportunity. Lord, it's in those moments that I need you to quicken to my spirit what it is you require of me. Lord, for, for those that are here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that, that they would call out to you. They'd say, Jesus, wash my sins away. I need the blood of the cross to cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness that I might live in the freedom that you've called me to. Lord, I pray that for everyone here today. Bless the men as they, by faith, step into the leadership role that you've called them to. And I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.